Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And they said to the head teacher, you know, are there any concerns about this child? And of course, instantly this planted a seed. The teacher then followed up with an email and said, this is of potential concern. And they noted this particular incident where the child was saying, you know, Allah created everything, Allah created snow. My mom taught me this Arabic prayer, uh, dua. And they said, you know, this could be of concern. And they shared that. The British Conservative government is currently going through crisis after crisis. For the past 12 years, we have witnessed the slow and sorry car crash of its failed policies. At the time of broadcast, its current embattled Prime Minister, Liz Truss, has had to U-turn on her economic plan and hangs on by a thread. Yet very few journalists and political commentators pay much attention to another series of disastrous policy initiatives focused on the Muslim community. And despite all the evidence, the government ploughs money into initiatives like Prevent, an insidious counter-terror strategy that has caused untold damage to community relations and alienated large numbers of Muslims. Prevent, a statutory duty of all public officials, looks to find what the government calls signs of radicalization. Often these indicators are conflated with Islamic practice or subject to the prejudices of teachers and other officials that have been whipped up in a McCarthyite-style frenzy. My guest today is an academic and activist who has been following the trail of mayhem caused by Prevent and has for years held the government to account. Dr. Leila Eitel Haj is the director of Prevent Watch, her most recent contribution as the co-author of the People's Review of Prevent drew support from over a dozen human rights NGOs, including Amnesty International and the UN Rapporteur on Protecting Freedoms. I asked Dr. Leila to help us understand Prevent, analyse the broader implications of the policy 
and draw on her extensive casework to help us visualise why Prevent and the Conservative Party is toxic within our communities. So Dr. Leila Eitelhaj, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and f- thank you for joining us at the Thinking Muslim podcast. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for having me on. Now, it, it's really a pleasure to, to have you with us because I know you're an expert uh, when it, uh, it comes to uh, prevent and its interrelated uh, issues. And, and there's a lot of moving parts that I want to explore today. And I know that you'd be able to untangle this for us. Uh, I mean, you've been one of the most prominent campaigners against Prevent. Your organization, Prevent Watch, launched an independent review of Prevent earlier this year as a response to the government's long-awaited review, known as a Shawcross review. I want to explore your review and your criticisms of Shawcross and the broader government strategy. Listeners to this podcast would know that we've looked at it at previously, at least, uh, uh, Prevent and, and its interrelated issues. We've explored the Trojan horse affair, uh, but I know your expertise will fill many of the gaps that I have uh, in my thinking about where the government is going with this strategy. But let's start with prevent as a policy. Now, my understanding is uh, it began with the Labour government in 2007 and consequently has been expanded by the Conservative government and, and made a statutory duty. Talk me through what prevent is, how it works, and what it aims to achieve, and I suppose how it's been extended and expanded over the years. Prevent is one arm of four arms of the UK's counterterrorism strategy. So there is protect, prepare, pursue, and prevent. And prevent is unique from the other aspects of the counterterrorism strategy because it acts clearly within the pre-crime space. Now, when people think pre-crime, they think, oh, that's great because it's just before a crime, because the word pre-crime. But actually what we're talking about in pre-crime is something well before any intention or preparation has ever occurred. We're not talking about pre-crime in the way that you might just dissect the word and say it's before a crime. No. In fact, pursue is looking at something before the crime. Pursue is disrupting an activity before it happens. So when um, media or government suggests that, oh, we've unfoiled terror attacks, you couldn't have possibly unfoiled them using prevent. What you've actually unfoiled is something that was in preparation. And therefore, what they've used is they've used pursue. Prevent can never be demonstrated as being used to stop a terror attack because prevent is based on thoughts and ideas. And this is why you hear about people being referred to prevent as four-year-olds or 10-year-olds. It's They've never intended or thought about committing any crime, let alone a terrorist uh, activity. So... Um, what it is, is it's based on the idea that you can stop people from becoming future terrorists. Okay, mm-hmm. So it's essentially, if somebody told you that, oh, I can predict your future, you would probably laugh them out the room. And yet the government is telling us that they can predict who might be vulnerable later on in the future to become a terrorist. And somehow mm-hmm. that is accepted and millions of pounds are injected into prevent every single year to keep this going despite the fact that there's been no evidence to suggest that this can actually work. Let let, let me understand this. So, uh, I don't know, a a 16-year-old boy at at school uh, uh, is 
preparing to, I mean, as we saw the phenomenon a few years back, five or six years back, preparing to travel to Syria, uh, would that be uh, a, a typical example of a prevent referral? It would be. So usually if a teacher has, has heard, okay, this child is going to travel, um, then they probably would refer it under prevent. But they wouldn't, it wouldn't just be a case that, oh, you know, this child might go uh, and travel to Syria and therefore I'm going to refer them under prevent, right? Mm. Um, it, it would be any child traveling anywhere abroad, particularly to a Muslim country, might get flagged right. under prevent. And furthermore, right. if you were going to actually, uh, if you did think as a teacher, this child is about to go and travel to Syria, then you wouldn't actually draw on prevent it would be more of an immediate action you would probably call mm. the police if you thought that he was traveling to syria to join a group mm. right you mm. wouldn't call on prevent because prevent is like seen as the softer approach you would call the police right. and say look i think he's going to travel abroad and i think he's going to you know so th there's a very clear distinction they wouldn't say to that person oh you know we think you're vulnerable and therefore you're going to come under prevent it, it would be very very early on so they might actually not say well, I'm preparing to go and travel abroad, mm. the prevent mm. referral would be more in the category of, mm, this child knows a lot about Syria. Uh, they spend a lot of time online. Mm, I'm worried that they might go and uh, think about traveling to Syria rather than I know they're in the act of preparing to go mm. to Syria. Right. Okay. And so, um, so I think something like half of all referrals are made by school teachers. And so what we're talking about... Mm. Uh, primarily, or, or at least, you know, in, in a in a in a greater sense, young people who are being referred to the prevent scheme. So, so school teachers would typically be looking out for signs uh, of radicalization, or, or what they have been trained to believe is radicalization. I mean, give me some examples of of things that school teachers would be looking out for in a in a student. Yeah, so the signs of radicalization are the signs that teachers, you know, doctors, any public sector worker would have been trained upon. Mm. Um, and these signs are really general signs that essentially right. any single teenager and even any adult could have been referred under. It doesn't take right. a particular combination of these signs. And these signs are as general as, you know, looking for identity and meaning, <laughs> you know, showing dominance, showing dominance, going through a transitional mm. period. Every single person is going to tick their teenage child. And this is why a lot of the referrals are actually from, um, you know, teenage, uh, towards teenagers. The prevent referrals are of teenagers because they're going through these natural transitions. Of course, they're going to be a bit more withdrawn or change their friendship groups or, you know, potentially change their religion. These things happen. It, it's a normal part of growing up. It's a normal part of, of changing your ideas. And yet these are the same signs that people have no idea about uh, terrorism are told, you know, you need to look out for these signs because the, that person could be vulnerable to, to becoming a future terrorist, essentially. Um, and this is where a lot of the conflation comes in. And, you know, just going back to that point about Syria, I mean, schools already knew about Prevent when the um, Bethnal Green girls went and traveled to Syria. Yes. You know, they weren't stopped. They weren't stopped from traveling under Prevent. Mm. In fact, I believe one of their schools was one of the first ones to adopt Prevent in the first place, but mm. they didn't, you know, they didn't get stopped from traveling to Syria. And, and so it begs the question, why are people who do end up traveling to Syria, why are they not stopped by prevent? Hmm. And, and why is that? I mean, you, you tell me. 
Well, simply because prevent doesn't work. Mm. I mean, you're 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 screening. If you think of how many public sector workers there are in the UK, mm. there are over five million public sector workers. Mm. And so essentially what you're doing is you're getting five million public sector workers to be your eyes and ears and to report on anything that they feel suspicious. And they're being told to trust their gut. Right? And essentially what you're doing is you're saying tap into your bias, mm. no matter how conscious or unconscious that bias may be, mm. and report anything you think might be suspicious. So if you're you know, a non-Muslim um, who has no idea really about some of your Muslim students and you think, oh, that, that child, you know, they've turned 13, 14, you know, they're now asking me if they can take a break so they can go and pray. You know, you might think, oh, that's a bit extreme. Why are you going to use your break time to pray? Why wouldn't you want to go and play with your friends? You know, and tap into that bias and think, yeah, that's a bit, that's a bit bizarre, actually. You know what? I'm just going to trust my gut. Um, they've started to wear hijab or, you know, they've started to dress more modestly. I'm going to trust my gut. This is what I am mandated to do. Mm. Bear in mind, they are mandated to do that. They have a legal duty to report those signs. And, you know, if it's nothing, I'd rather be safe than sorry. What they don't realize is that if it's nothing, uh, what you haven't stopped is that person being vetted and interrogated potentially by a prevent officer. And, you know, we call them prevent officer, but really a prevent officer is a counterterrorism officer. Right. So it's not even your local police officer. It's a counterterrorism officer. And most people would be quite intimidated if they were questioned even by a police officer, let alone if they're questioned by a counterterrorism officer who thinks that you might be susceptible to being a terrorist. I mean, that's a really intimidating thing to go through. So if you think about it, five million public sector workers are reporting on thousands of people every single year. And these people, all the first stage of a prevent referral is that you get vetted by a counterterrorism officer. Mm. And usually that happens in person. Mm. And many times it happens at home. So it's, you know, that whole idea of like, oh, I'd rather be safe than sorry. And there's no harm done. There is harm done. Even just at that first initial interaction, that's without any of the subsequent potential steps that may occur. And, and what are the subsequent steps? Imagine if the uh, prevent officer uh, feels that there's something here uh, that needs mm -hmm. to be explored further. I mean, this is, of course, what you've described as a pre-criminal space. So we're not talking about yeah. someone who's, you know, who's immediately in the process of undertaking uh, an act of terrorism. We're talking about someone who's showing signs that they believe is, you know, are signs of radicalization. So if, for example, that uh, that uh, uh, prevent officer decided that there's something here, what happens next? Yeah, most times the prevent officer does believe there's something there because mm. you have to keep in mind that the prevent officer is trained on the same signs that the, right. the teacher or the doctor has been has been uh, taught, right? Okay. So they're going on the same assumptions, um, and so usually they will refer it. Now, in the case of children, um, social services are almost inevitably always involved mm. when it comes to a child so whenever there is a prevent referral of a child you will have social services even if that family was never known to social services before even if there were no flags around any emotional or welfare physical any type of concerns being flagged in terms of the home mm. social services will end up being involved mm. so now you have a family who have a social services record even though there's no signs that that child needs any support under social services, but social services will come in. And one of the reasons why social services will come in is because you don't have to engage with a prevent officer. Right. right? Even at that early stage, you don't have to engage with them. Right. You've not committed any crime. They're coming in essentially for a quote unquote chat. Mm. 
You don't need to engage with them. But you do have to engage with social services. Right. And so oftentimes what will happen is prevent officers won't even show up by themselves in the first instance. They will straight away show up with social services. And that creates even bigger intimidation and fear. And you think, oh, my God, I have to show that there is nothing here. So the family will open that door and allow for themselves to be assessed, thinking, well, you know, I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to hide. Not realizing that the social worker is coming in with an assumption. That assumption is that your child is at risk of radicalization. And that assumption is that that child got that risk of radicalization from somewhere. And the likelihood is that somewhere is their family, their parents. Mm -hmm. Right? Because you are an adult, and therefore, if your child is saying something, surely that child got that from you. Right? It's, it's that environment that they're growing up in. They're not going to say, oh, they got it from school. They got it from BBC News. They're not going to suggest that it was mainstream media or, or your school that you might have learned various ideas from. They're going to assume it's from family. So you have social services intervention. You have a situation where essentially you are being interrogated by a counterterrorism officer, hmm. and you don't have any of the safeguards that you would have if you were being questioned for suspicion of a crime by a police officer you don't have those rights because the police the officer at the time isn't governed by the same code of conduct that they would if they were there investigating a crime right. and we've we've seen this in practice we've complained uh, clients have come to us asked for support they don't understand why their eight-year-old their 10-year-old their 13-year-old has been questioned by themselves without a guardian without consent or anything and they've said hold on this breaches pace right. it paces the code of conduct that police should adhere to yes and when we complained to the police and said why did you decide to question this child by themselves for 30 minutes one hour without a parent or guardian present they've said well we weren't investigating a crime and mm. so we didn't need to follow that code of conduct However, if you think about it, the information that they gather from that particular interrogation could be used against you. Mm. But you don't have that right. You don't have that right to silence. You don't have that right for asking for a lawyer. You don't even have that right as a child to ask for your parent to be in the room. Mm. So it's a very kind of gray area that's really open to abuse. And, you know, the social services intervention could mean that the prevent officer goes away, but the social services decide to stay. Right. And say, well, actually, we're going to stay and we think you need support. And then the parents feel obliged, like, oh, maybe we have to take on the support, because if we don't take on the support, then it means that, you know, we're not doing what's in the best interest of our child, even though even the social services intervention, you know, if they don't meet the threshold, they don't meet the threshold. It's voluntary. Hmm. And again, social, a lot of social services won't explain to the parents that what you're about to undertake is voluntary. And so they think they have to engage with those social services. They think they have to engage with those prevent officers. And it can be a really, really traumatic and confusing time for the parents and the children involved because they believe something's wrong, like something's happened. I, I've done something as a child. I've done something wrong. And it has created this huge intervention in my family life. Um, I'm uh, looking at your report here, and, and it's, a, it's an amazing review, actually, of, of Prevent. And uh, some really... Uh, interesting case studies, which I, I, you know, shocked me. And, you know, I've, I've been following this from afar for some time, but some of the case studies have been um, pretty startling. And in your report, there's there's an even more startling series of statistics. Um, let me read it out for our listeners. It's quite a long passage, but I think it's it's quite important. And I want you to uh, reflect on um, uh, on what uh, what what it suggests. Uh, so in the year 2017 to 18, there were 7,318 prevent referrals, of which 42% were, were 
judged to require no action. Uh, another 40% left the process and were directed to other services. So as you've described, they're probably social services or, or other community services. Um, but these uh, were not at risk of radicalization. So another 40% were, were, were taken out of the system because um, uh, it was deemed that uh, they weren't on this so-called continuum towards radicalization. Uh, before a channel discussion took place. So I'm going to ask you what a channel discussion is in a second, but let me, let me just read on. So 70% of those discussed at channel did not proceed onto the program. So in all, 394 individuals out of a total of 7,318 were judged appropriate for channel. So this represents 5% of all those formally referred to prevent. So 95%, in other words, of prevent referrals were made incorrectly. And channel was deemed inappropriate for 6,924 individuals. I mean, that just sounds shocking to me. How, how do you square what looks like an obvious failed policy here? So this is the, the beauty of prevent's own failures that even by its own admission and statistics, you can see that it's not working. And I'd say even deeper wow. than the 95%, because you could kind of say, well, look, if we have 100 people and 95 people haven't done anything and don't warrant any further action, then surely it's in the best interest of everybody that those five people captured from the 100 people, you know, those five people could do some serious damage. That assumes that the 5%, those five people that have gone onto channel, are actually five people who are potential terrorists, mm. okay? which is not the case. Right. Because channel is essentially what the, um, you know, the governments frame it as their de-radicalization program. Right. Channel is essentially you get a mentor. So for one child, for example, the channel mentor, he was actually referred under far-right extremism. Right. Um, but strangely enough, during his uh, referral, he converted to Islam. Right. And his channel mentor was a Muslim who came to teach him the correct way of being a Muslim. Mm. You know, because there's a good Muslim, a bad Muslim, <laughs> right? So he was teaching him how to be a good Muslim. Mm. And, um, and it was very bizarre. So, okay, explain to me. So this child was referred on the far right. And even the far right referral was a complete joke. I mean, people think, oh, it's fine because there are also far, far right extremists who are being caught. If you look at the far right referrals, they're equally damning as the um, referrals of young Muslims. I mean, most of these referrals are children mm. who have said or done something that could easily be dealt with by their teacher, by their parents. And instead, they're being treated as if they're about to be the next uh, you know, high profile terrorist. Right. Um, so, yeah, so the channel mentor, the channel program is essentially like having a kind of big brother, you know, it's like a big brother mentorship. Mm. Okay. Again, there's no evidence to suggest that that person spending some time with them has taken them away from the path of terrorism. Mm. Okay. So that 5% is not even 5% of people who are genuinely radicalized and who are, you know, genuinely going on to commit any potential criminal act. Mm. In fact, a lot of that 5% are people who feel that they have to accept channel. Like they have to go onto the channel program because there is a lot of pressure. And we often get people calling us saying, look, um, they're suggesting that my child go onto channel. These are the circumstances of the prevent referral. Obviously, the prevent referral is all ridiculous, but I'm really worried because what happens if I don't engage with channel? Mm. And so they feel coerced and they feel that 
they have to engage. Okay? So this isn't suggesting that even that five, yeah, which is a ridiculous number in a way, but you can kind of come around and say, well, no, you know, one terrorist would be bad enough, let alone five. If out of every hundred we're stopping, but that's not the case. There's actually no evidence to suggest that prevent does what it says on the tin. And what does prevent say on the tin? It says prevent is there to stop people being drawn into terrorism. There's not a single shred of evidence that has been produced by anybody in the pro-prevent lobby, by any member of government, or by any of the reviews, including this Shawcross review, will not show us a single shred of evidence, I can be certain of that, that prevent works to stop people from being drawn into terrorism. It begs the question, why continue with such a policy? I and mean, if, if uh, only 394 individuals out of a total of 7,318 are referred to prevent, and as you've quite rightly described there, even those individuals were probably not uh, on this pathway to terrorism, to, 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 to radicalization. You know, surely the government produced these statistics. I mean, you know, they, uh, they know what's going on. Uh, they know that uh, there are large numbers of people who are being scooped up by this program who are not actually, uh, you know, who, who shouldn't be uh, referred to this program. So, so why continue spending millions of pounds and, and, and exerting energy and writing reviews when the program is failing? I mean, what's your thinking behind that? I think the best way to look at that is to flip it on its head and look at the um, higher percentage that are not uh, seen as even under by their own logic warranting any further action. So let's look at the 95%. Where do they end up? Yeah. Okay. So some of them are complete misinformed referrals, right? Mm. They don't, they, then it's not suggested that they require any support. Uh, if you look again at the Home Office's own statistics, they're suggesting that the majority of that percent, what happens to them is that. They require some support, but it's not, you know, channel. So mm. what is that support? Well, that support is potentially healthcare support or social services support. Um, so what has happened to the support services then? Why couldn't they have accessed mental health care or social services directly? Mm. Why, instead of the teacher making a prevent referral and being encouraged to make a prevent referral or the doctor making a prevent referral, you know, and being encouraged to make a prevent referral, why did they not just directly make a referral to one of the other services. Because, you know, if you go to your GP and you require mental health uh, support, yes. your GP knows exactly what he needs to do to do that. You know, teachers, if they think, oh, there's a breakdown somewhere in family structure or something's happening and you might actually benefit from some um, early year support, some social services support, they have the professional judgment and they've been doing so for a very long time in order to make that call. Right? And, to, and to offer it as a support service to the family. But they're not doing that. Instead, it's having to go through Prevent in order to go back to social services or go through Prevent in order to go back to mental health care. And so you have to look at the state of mental health care and look at the state of social services and look at the state of you know, youth clubs even. Right? What has happened to them in the last decade? Funding has been stripped from these places. Mm -hmm. right? They have had massive fund cuts. At the same time, Prevent has received huge injections of money. It's easier to justify an injection of money to, you know, keep keep the nation safe than it is to suggest that, you know, we need money to keep our youth off the street or to engage youth and to, you know, bolster the mental health of our nation. Right? And that is essentially what is happening. Prevent is being seen as this 
fix all uh, and it's not at all in fact it's creating more problems and so you have people like um you know even sarah khan for example mm. um speaking of of hateful extremism you know firstly nobody defined what extremism was okay and everyone was waiting for the uh, mm. commission of counter extremism to define what extremism was because that was her role for a couple of years yes and instead of doing that she came out with a new term Right? I'm not going to define extremism. Instead, I'm going to come out with a new term called hateful extremism. Well, mm. What is hateful extremism? Uh, it looks a lot to me like hateful extremism is a hate crime. We mm. already have a definition for that. Yes. We already have laws for that. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I mean, do you think that Prevent is aimed at doing something greater? I mean, going beyond the 95%. Um, I mean, I, I speak to uh, people in the community who 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 talk about Prevent in, in hushed tones and they uh, they, you, you can see there's a palpable fear, maybe fear is a st- too strong a word. Well, maybe it isn't. You know, there is a fear about prevent in the wider Muslim community, uh, even beyond those who have directly interacted with the process. Um, I mean, is, is prevent there to instill fear and suspicion in the Muslim community? I mean, does it have a wider aim of, of I don't know, social engineering, uh, a way to silence um, Muslim voices and and to prevent Muslims from um, uh, from in, from participating in you know as as ready members of of a, of a Muslim community. I think that is one aspect of it. And um, if we look at it from a power perspective, I mean, in order for power to thrive um, and to be very kind of authoritarian, you need to divide, which prevent certainly does. You know, there is a division. Um, there is a division amongst the Muslim community who, you know, some Muslims accepted prevent and thought, yes, you know, there is a problem. We need to solve it. We need this money. We need to show our youth how to be good Muslims and to behave a certain way. And, you know, so there, there is certainly that division within the Muslim community. We, we've seen that play out over the years, you know, mm. um, but there is also division in wider society. So you have that, you know, it plays on that far right uh you know islamist type divide you know it plays on non-muslim muslim you know it plays on that divide and that divide is really important if you want to deliberately create division in order to remain in power and in order to be more authoritarian um it certainly silences and we've seen evidence of that we know that people are self-censoring particularly the muslim community because they do feel targeted so they're self-censoring they're not displaying um, you know, normative Islamic beliefs openly because they are worried that if they, if you are openly Muslim, then you will also be openly extreme, according to the minds of those who implement Prevent. And Prevent is not just, you know, Prevent is wider than just a referral system. Prevent, there is an environment of Prevent. There is a logic to Prevent that creates a certain environment that goes well beyond the referrals. You don't need to be referred to Prevent in order to be impacted by its logic. Yes. So that logic, again, if you think about how people are trained on the logic, how many millions of people are trained on logic, how many people are afraid of the logic, right? you are impacted by it. You're impacted by this idea that having certain thoughts and beliefs, expressing your ideas is going to be detrimental to you. And so you will self-censor. And so you may look at your children and say, you know what, actually, don't wear hijab just yet. You're quite young maybe wait a little bit longer because I don't want to be seen as an extreme parent. I don't want to be seen as a parent that is, you know, quote unquote, forcing you to do anything. Right. So there is a worry from parents, from children 
I mean, we even saw with the um, Palestinian activism that happened right. last year off the back of uh, Sheikh Sharah. You know, there were there were children who were uh, acting in solidarity with Palestine who were being sanctioned by schools. Right? They were being sanctioned by schools. And so you might think, well, yeah, but it wasn't prevent. But they were being sanctioned off the back of prevent rhetoric and logic. Mm. Okay? And actually, there is evidence to suggest that the schools were being fed lines from counter extremism. Right? So there were ways on how to deal with the children that were being fed down through to the schools. Right? So why were they being involved? You know, surely if the kids are doing something unruly um, and they're not displaying their acts of solidarity properly, and maybe, I don't know, I think there were excuses like, oh, you're not allowed to stick up things on the wall. And so that's why you're being sanctioned. Okay, fine. Why do you need the input of counter-extremism? Your school, just say, we can't stick things on the walls. But there were extreme sanctions playing out um, because of the fact that these children were expressing themselves. And, you know, Palestinian activism is on the training slides for when people are being trained up on how to prevent signs of extremism. You know, Palestinian activism is there. And we had a teacher who, uh, I believe we included her um, testimony in the People's Review of Prevent, who was saying that she was taking part, um, you know, as as a member of staff at school, she was taking part in this prevent training. And the um, person who was delivering the prevent training from the local authority said, that, you know, if somebody is at a Palestinian rally, right, showing support for Palestine, if you're at a rally and you're taking your children, that is a problem. That is a potential sign of extremism. Hmm. Okay. So when actually that, that, um, that member of staff called her out on it and said, oh, my God, what are you saying? Um, and then followed up and wrote a letter. She tried to justify what she was saying. Okay, in her email, which was completely different to what had happened, according to the member of staff in, in the actual room where they were being trained. She tried to kind of justify in the email, oh, this is why I explained it. And I didn't really say this. And this is what I said. But then what she said was, oh, you know, it's really important that we have your views and maybe you should be part of our group so you can help us deliver this training better. And I say that in that tone because, you know, Allowing for Muslims to come into that space and feel that they're contributing is very much a part of how Prevent manages to keep, keep itself going, right? right? You use members of its own community to dish out the oppression. And I'll give you an example. I went to, um, I went to one of the social services interventions that was playing out on one family off the back of a Prevent referral. Um, and the sister asked me to attend with her. So I went. Um, I wasn't allowed to, to speak. I was only allowed to, to sit and, and offer kind of support mm. for the parent. And there were several people in the room from the different schools that the children went to. She had several children. And there was only one Muslim there. Okay, There were about five people in the room, all of them non-Muslim, and there was one Muslim there. Mm. And all of them spoke so highly of the children, no concerns, no issues. And bearing in mind, this sister has to go through this process in order to tick all these boxes so that she can come out of this social services intervention with her children and, you know, the children are fine. And these are outstanding children. Like, they will put any children to shame, honestly. Like, the grades are impeccable. They're, in, you know, involved in all these extracurricular activities. Um, you know, absolutely shining stars. And then the one Muslim person who was in the room made a comment. I said, well, yeah, I don't really have any concerns, but the child did say this, and I'm just wondering where they got this from. 
Um, I, obviously, I can't go into the detail, but it was a really, it was a non-issue. It was a non-comment. Mm. And you could see quite clearly that she was saying that because she didn't want to seem sympathetic as the only Muslim in the room to the Muslim who is essentially like, you know, under the intervention. Okay, overcompensating for her Muslimness as a professional to not seem that she was being biased by making this ridiculous comment in the first place. That's what it came across as to me. It's like, okay, now you're part of this whole system and the non-Muslims in the room are using their professional judgment, right? To suggest that these children have no concerns and you are now going above and beyond your professional judgment because you feel somehow insecure of the fact that you are Muslim and you're trying to now overcompensate and be part of this whole oppressive issue that's happening and playing out. And do you feel, I mean, Prevent has a, an insidious effect on uh, the broader, uh, the non-Muslims and how they view uh, Muslims? So I, I can imagine uh, lots of teachers, I mean, my colleagues, uh, after, after a series of Prevent training uh, sessions, um, you know, were, were, you can tell that they were far more suspicious of, uh, of Muslim children and, and would view them with, with an extra level of scrutiny than, say, they would, they would view uh, sort of a broader student community. In fact, I remember after a, a one prevent training, a fellow, co a colleague of mine who, you know, who was, uh, you know, a, a washed out liberal, a very, you know, open-minded person uh, after a, an intense prevent training, uh, he left the he left the um, the lecture theatre and, and said and said to you know generally that you know we should invade their countries and change these people's mindsets um, <laughs> and and it was a it was a shocking comment to hear from someone who I regarded as being sort of this uh, this left leaning individual who's who's got very cosmopolitan sensitivities and. And I can imagine, uh, writ large, that say there is a broader uh, uh, consensus growing in in the broader community that we should see Muslims and their family units with with a with an air of suspicion. Mm -hmm. I mean, have you seen that in in your in your uh, um, engagements with Prevent? Yeah. So I think this is the. I mean, there are, so, there are two ways I've seen this. Firstly, I've seen this in people who have come openly to, to contact Prevent Watch and say, look, I've just undergone the training and like, oh my God, mm. even as, as a non-Muslim, like I feel really insulted by what was just being said. And then we see it in the play out of various Prevent referrals. So, um, you know, there was a nursery teacher, for example, who um, made a comment. Um, sorry, she didn't make a comment. She was reporting on the comment that the child made um, where the child said, you know, Allah created everything, okay, Muslim child, of course he believes Allah created everything, right, uh, yes. Allah even created snow, right, okay. so this is a young nursery age child, uh, Allah created snow, right. Allah created everything, hmm. um, and then the child mentions this dua that their parent taught them, um, again, to a non-Muslim, non-Arabic speaking person, this is, he's uttering mm. some Arabic words, oh my God, you know, mm. shock horror, we have to be worried. Um, and at, but at the time, it's interesting because the teacher didn't flag it as a concern. Okay, they noted it, as, as nursery teachers do usually, you know, when the child's playing, role-playing, whatever, they'll make their little notes uh, as part of their, you know, development, they'll, they'll make these notes. Um, but she did not flag it as a concern. 
when she did flag it as a concern was after prevent officers who were unable to interact with the father because the father refused to engage. It was like, why should I engage with you? Like, who are you? Am I legally mm. met? Do I need to speak to you? If you want to speak to me, mm. that's fine. Call me over to the station and I will come to the station. I'll come to the police station with a lawyer and I'll speak to you. But I'm not going to mm. speak to you as a counterterrorism officer, you know, off the record. I don't want to do that. So that was his choice to make. Mm. And then what happened was the prevent officers approached the school of this young child who said Allah created everything and created snow and said to that mm. school, and this was very unofficial. There's no like paper trial. They didn't send the school letter. They turn up at the school, right? And they said to the head teacher, you know, are there any concerns about this child? And of course, instantly this planted a seed in that head teacher and, and in all of the teacher's mind about this child, because why would counterterrorism officers, you know, this can't be a usual event that counterterrorism officers turn mm. up at school and ask if there's a concern with a four or five-year-old that, that's not the norm okay so instantly what are you going to think you're going to think there must be trouble at home mm. right because this family is involved with counterterrorism, and so you know there's no smoke without fire let's look back now and look at look through the comments that this child has made and initially actually the teacher said when they were first asked the teacher said no we don't know of any comments okay and they went away the next day the teacher then followed up with an email mm. and said, this is of potential concern. And they noted this particular incident where the child was saying, you know, Allah created everything, Allah created snow. My mom taught me this Arabic prayer, uh, dua. And they said, you know, this could be of concern. And they shared that. Now, even if you thought that counterterrorism officers were involved in um, this child's family's life for whatever reason, even if you thought that was the case, why would... The fact that this child says Allah creates everything, including snow. Mm. And the fact that this child knew Arabic dua, why would that be potential concern for you to email it through? Because now you have a seed in your mind that these people are a problem, right? And Arabic is a problem. And Islam is a problem. And even the idea that, you know, Allah created everything for this child to think that, that is a problem. Mm. And I think when, when people, not just out of the training, but just the general environment, feel that despite statistics you could tell them look statistically it's not correct statistically muslims are not the problem okay you can show them the statistics and say look all the evidence shows it's not muslims that are doing all the terror acts it's the far right but you can show them those statistics it, it's not as strong as that sense that they feel from what they're being fed day in day out by media by politicians mm. right it's not as strong showing them a statistic is not going to move them in the same way that they have been moved every single day in all the subtle signs, you know, whether that's you're on the tube and it's a, you know, see it, say it, saw it, or you're in your prevent training, all of these things build up and you don't even realize till you get to the point and you think, no, I'm not racist. No, I'm not Islamophobic. Mm. No, you are. You just don't realize the journey that you've been on. You don't realize that the person being groomed is you. You're the one that's been groomed into believing. You're the one that's been brainwashed into believing this, right? It's not the problem of brainwashing isn't happening on the other side. It's happened to you. Mm. Um, I mean, I wonder whether that is. Uh, I don't know if we can call it an an intentional, but a, but a, you know, one of the aims of of prevent. If we were to if we were to attach a, a nefarious, you know, uh, um, motive to this project, um, you know, is is one such aim to 
to, to you know to to regard the Muslim community as the other and and to uh, and to find a or and to to establish a uh, you know a a, a a certainty in the broader community that Muslims should be suspected and and you know the terrorism is developing and breeding in mosques and and within wider Muslim circles. I mean, even as you ask me that question, I realize that my response to you is going to be very much my opinion, right? Mm. And as a Muslim in this space, I know that even me giving my opinion will be used against me, right? Because yes. if I say, yeah, yeah, I do believe that. I do believe that is, is, is deliberate, right? Then it's like, oh, conspiracy theorist, you know, all sorts. Mm. I have reported on evidence and in the report, and the report is actually drawn upon almost 600 testimonies of people's lived experience. Like these aren't just people who have called up and said, this has happened. These are people who we've gone through that journey with them. We've seen the subject access requests. We've seen the referral forms. We've seen why people referred to channel based off of the channel forms that they themselves filled out. We've seen the emails back and forth between the prevent officers. This is all evidence-based and we've drawn upon the testimonies and we've given examples of some of the themes that came out. We drew upon the government's own evidence Right? We drew upon other NGOs and other researchers who produced reports, and we put that all together in a like what 150 page or so report. Mm. And, and you know, we had the UN Special Rapporteur providing supporting statement for it. That UN Special Special Rapporteur is not any special rapporteur, she is the UN Rapporteur for the Protection of Freedoms whilst countering terrorism. Right. You know, so she is very aware of countering terrorism and very critical of prevent. And yet, despite the fact that I've used evidence, evidence-based approach, and only, you know, we've not, we've not littered this report with our opinion, mm -hmm. despite that, I was still attacked as being what? Islamist, mm -hmm. right? Now, what is Islamist? What, what's the word Islamist? Let's play a word game. Combine the word Islam and terrorist. What word do you get? Islamist, right? Mm -hmm. So yes. Islamist is just a way that you can accuse somebody of being a terrorist, which is a real and serious crime, okay? Punishable, you know, punishable in this country with quite a few years, you know, it's not, it's not on the lower end. You're able to say that flippantly, like you're able to say, oh, these Islamists are doing X, Y, and Z. You won't be done for libel or defamation because, you know, you've not actually called me a terrorist, but in a way you have. You know, you can get David Cameron uh, supporting a, a policy exchange report and saying that people who criticize prevent, even though that criticism is not based on opinion, that criticism is based on hard evidence, right? You can, you can then be called an enabler of terrorism by a former prime minister, David Cameron. That's what you can be called. And so when you ask, you know, is prevent something that um, is used to silence Muslims or used deliberately to discriminate against Muslims, my personal opinion is 100% yes, based on what I've yes. seen, based on what mm. I feel even myself as a Muslim, as a Muslim, as a Muslim mother, as a Muslim woman working in this space, as an activist, like that's what I feel. But even when I say what is based off of pure opinion without what I feel and what, uh, what is based on pure evidence without what I feel, any type of opinion, I'm shot down by it. So mm. imagine those who don't have the evidence to back them up and just speak about issues i mean even in today's uh, report on sarah khan sarah khan talks about um you know people who um 
people are hiding behind the label of Islamophobia. And what they're really hiding is their extremist tendencies. Really? So if you say that you are a victim of Islamophobia, what you're doing really is you're a secret extremist. There is no Islamophobia. And what she's doing is she's reinforcing the idea that Islamophobia does not exist. Because let's face it, UK government has not accepted that Islamophobia exists. So how can you deal with something that is Islamophobic? How can you deal with a policy that is Islamophobic if you haven't even addressed the fact that Islamophobia exists? If you're still in denial of it. I mean, let's talk about the UK government strategy then. Um, They appointed William Shawcross, formerly from the Policy Exchange and the Henry Jackson Society, as its chair of its review of the prevent strategy. Mm. Um, Can you explain who William Shawcross is? And he's quite... I suppose the quite nefarious role of of some of these think tanks and how they feed into the policy process at the moment. William Shawcross is somebody who I'm actually surprised would be um, given the task of producing any kind of report because Mm. he is very much based on opinion. Um, He has been somebody who has supported every single war and terror policy by UK government. Uh, he's, He's never shown an opinion that goes against it. So to suggest that he is somehow independent or will be working independent of government to produce any kind of report based on any type of evidence is actually quite shocking in and of itself. Um, You know, he's made comments about uh, Islam and about Muslims that are clearly Islamophobic. And this is, you know, these are open comments. These are open to public scrutiny. Um, He's not said them behind closed doors. These aren't accusations. He's been very open about it. He was the um, director of the um, Charity Commission, chair of the Charity Commission, at a time when the Charity Commission very disproportionately was targeting Muslim charities. He was the director of the Henry Jackson Society, which is known for his Islamophobic stance and perpetuating the Islamophobia industry. If you look at all the people who are involved in Henry Jackson Society, actually many of them then go on to, to, to work at Policy Exchange. And strangely enough, guess who was also involved as a fellow at Policy Exchange? William Shawcross, who came out with a report post the People's Review of Prevent, when we did our Pe- People's Review of Prevent, who came out with a report to suggest uh, that you know our report was just a, um, a small minority of Islamists trying to undermine uh, government strategy. It was Policy Exchange. So, you know, he, they obviously are defending Shawcross and Shawcross is somebody who, you know, after three years has not been able to produce an independent review. To be fair, he was only appointed, you know, after Lord Carlisle had to step down, but even Lord yes. Carlisle wasn't independent. So in three years, the government hasn't been able to produce a report, even though they've tried twice to appoint a not so independent reviewer. And now I think recent reports, just the other day, there were some leaks coming out um, in the mail or I'm not sure which yeah. which paper was carrying it. I think it was the mail saying that, mm. oh, you know, we can't publish this report because the lefty lawyers at the Home Office <laughs> are rejecting it. It's like you're even turning against your own lawyers because they don't want to adopt whatever it is that's coming out in this report, which gives an indication that this review is a complete shambles because you can't even get it past your own government. Like you can't even get it past the Home Office. And you have to ask what they're trying to get past. Why are the lawyers stopping this report from coming out? And the idea is that the only reason that the lawyers are involved isn't due to libel. They're trying to suggest, oh, you know, they might be done for libel. No, they're not going to be done for libel. The only reason why lawyers are involved is because they are likely to be trying to pass legislation 
all right so or statutory requirements at some level that's going to change the way prevent works so in the same way that 2015 you know prevent went from being a policy to being a duty it was mandated i believe that this time around there will be changes on the legislative level when it comes to prevent and potentially it could be that interaction with channel so at the moment channel is voluntary you know you can choose whether or not to go onto it but i think from the leaks and from some of the stories warming us up i think yesterday there was a bbc report on a far-right extremist um and it said you know he was referred to channel but he didn't engage with it or something like that and i just thought this is warming up for what is going to come out next which is you know channel will be mandatory and if you think about it just because somebody's been referred to channel it doesn't mean that a they should have to do it because remember they still haven't committed any crime or even suspected of preparing or intending to do a crime how can you force you know even if it's helpful for them even if it even if channel was a form of therapy you cannot force somebody into therapy it's no longer therapy right so how can you force somebody to get support it's no longer support but this is the pre-crime space preventers in the pre-crime space so what are you going to treat them as you're going to treat them as criminals then even though they haven't gone on to commit any kind of crime nor can you ever ever prove that they intended to do a crime but you want to treat them as criminals in the pre-crime space so my understanding is that Shawcross has submitted his report, as you've said, and and the government lawyers are looking, are trawling through the report and trying to work out whether it's it's um, it can stand, um, you know, as you've said, it can it can be legitimately uh, published uh, for for the reasons that you've suggested or others. And uh, in the in the uh, intervening period, there's there've been a, a number of leaks from the report. I mean, one such leak which came out in The Guardian, suggested that Shawcross is arguing that um, right-wing, the emphasis that has been given uh, to right-wing uh, extremism over the last few years uh, should, be, should be lessened, should be de-emphasized, and, and the focus should come back on, on, on Muslims. I, I'm sure you would argue the focus has never really left the Muslim community, mm-hmm. but he's arguing for more of an intense focus on Muslim so-called radicalization. And, and in, in that uh, leak, uh, there was a discussion about the, the idea space uh, that leads to right-wing terror. And I think the argument was that um, the, you know, there, is not a, there is not a clear link between right-wing ideas and right-wing terror. But at, in the set, at the same time, he's arguing that we should tackle all of the so-called narratives, the conservative and so-called radical narratives that may lead to terrorism within the Muslim community. I mean, there is a contradiction there when it comes to treating right-wing terrorism and Muslim, so-called Muslim radicalization. Um, can you can you comment on that? So yeah, I agree. Obviously, for us, um, you know, far-right extremism, that focus on far-right extremism, it only really came into play after various criticisms and concerns about the initial focus of PREVENT, which was always towards the Muslim community, right? Mm-hmm. So it was towards the Muslim community, concerns were raised that it was discriminatory. So then after one of the reviews, they said, look, we're going to f- uh, focus on all forms of extremism and threw in, you know, far-right extremism and various other activist groups into the mix as well. This is a complete red herring, not only because of the way in which far right extremists are treated when they go through a prevent referral and the way in which, you know, 
basically the way the, the kind of sanctions and the ideas and the ways they're treated is very different to to how people who are Muslim who are being referred to prevent are treated. Um, not only that, but also it's a it's 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 not unusual that Shawcross is asking for us to revert back to focusing on Muslims and go away from far-right extremists. And he even admits it, essentially, as part of that league. He says, no, no, far-right extremism, you know, we're at danger of capturing mainstream ideas with far-right extremism. Why would you say that unless you know that actually now what is mainstream and who determines mainstream other than government of the day, right? What is mainstream is far-right, right? Far-right is a new mainstream. It's a similar phenomenon to what we saw with Trump. I'm not surprised that he would want the focus away from far-right extremism because I think that government at the moment know if they are capturing far-right extremists, if they're capturing these ideas, then they will also capture themselves. These people, when you have people in government who are um, pushing far-right ideas, of course government is not going to want to focus on far-right extremism because it is going to be too exposing. With the way in which Islamophobia has been running in this country, this idea of refocusing on Muslims, he says it openly. It's unapologetic. It's very overt. And the truth is we've got to a point now in the UK where Islamophobia is more overt. Okay, people might look at France and the UK and be very, very thankful that the UK is very far away from France. But how far away are we from France where it's very openly Islamophobic? We're not that far away. I'm sure France didn't wake up in the state that it is in today. I'm sure it was a gradual creep. And I think the UK is on that gradual creep. You know, there are more ideas about um, far-right extremists. And, you know, a lot of Muslims think, particularly Muslims, I would say, um, think it's okay that Prevent exists because, you know, far-right extremism is being tackled. But we don't want equal oppression, right? Prevent is very oppressive in the way it operates. We don't want equal oppression. It doesn't work full stop so why would we want something that doesn't work to, to occur in a different community it doesn't it doesn't make any sense you know why would we want something that is harmful to one community to be extended to another community now notwithstanding all that you've said uh, it would be remiss of me not to talk about the challenge that uh, does exist within our community the murder of uh, david amos mp was by someone who was motivated sadly by uh, his Islamic beliefs, at least that's what we've, we've been told. Uh, and I understand he was referred to prevent. Um, I suppose what I'm asking is, in your ideal world, I mean, would you replace prevent with something else? And what form would that intervention take? I mean, the fact that he was referred to prevent and the fact that I think we have a list, we didn't actually include it in the People's Review of Prevent, but we do have a separate list of about 13 known terror convicts, right? Mm -hmm. Who were referred to Prevent, right? right? They still went on to commit the crime. Isn't Prevent supposed mm -hmm. to stop people from doing that? Why yes. is it that these people, having been referred or known by Prevent, um, did not get stopped? This is further evidence of the fact that Prevent doesn't work. Okay, right. so there is plenty of legislation that exists. There are plenty of tools in the toolkit that can be used to try and divert people away from crime and also to punish people once they have committed a crime. Mm. Um, when people say, well, okay, you want to remove prevent, what would you replace it with? Why would you need to replace prevent? 
you're we're essentially saying that prevent doesn't stop terrorism so you're saying what would you replace it with to not stop terrorism because I, I don't know what would you want me to say i mean it prevent doesn't stop terrorism I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't stop terrorism. I'm just saying prevent doesn't. I don't have answers as to what would. I don't have the resources that government has. I don't know what the solution is, but I can definitely tell when something isn't working and when all the evidence points that it's not working, I'm well entitled to say, by the way, here's the evidence, it's not working. And that's all that we're doing. And I think this flip of like, okay, what should we do? You know, taking it on as our responsibility as citizens like it's my responsibility in order to come up with a plan to stop x y z is part of the problem because it's like well you can either put up or shut up you know if you don't have a solution to end something and we're never going to be able to stop all crimes you know can we stop all murders no can we stop all pedophiles no can we stop all violent abusers no you know are we going to be able to stop every terror act of course not but there are other arms of the counterterrorism strategy and there are other things that could be done. If you're talking about, you know, um, strengthening communities, go for it. Strengthen communities if that's the root of a problem. If you're talking about better education and awareness, go for it. There are always going to be people who pervert um, certain ideas. They can pervert ideas, whether those ideas are religious or not. And it can come under any single religion. It doesn't just have to be Islam. And so this idea that, you know, the Muslim community need to take responsibility for somebody who uses a religious idea and perverts it for their own cause is actually part of that wide aspect of like, it's your problem, you have to deal with it and you have to be impacted by it. And if you're impacted by it and you're discriminated against it, well, tough. You know, and nobody else would take that responsibility. No other community is expected to take that responsibility for every single member who claims to be part of their religion or group or thought process like nobody nobody else has to do that thank you for your time today and if any of our listeners wants to find out more about your organization how would they uh, access your material so the people's review of prevent um, has a separate uh, website so it's um, peoplesreviewofprevent.org and um, the Prevent Watch, if people specifically have an issue regarding Prevent or want information about that or support with regards to uh, Prevent Referral, then you can go to um, preventwatch.org. Jazakallah khair. Thank you for your, for your time today. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.